Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. This message that I'm going to share with you today is something that God spoke to me in about three minutes. I wish it was that easy every week, you know. That would be so good. I'd save a lot of time. But I got it in about three weeks. I had to work on it, but I got it in about three minutes. And uh, the night before, Sarah and I had you know, left to get on the plane to uh, head up to Queensland. Uh, I was watching television, and I was just flicking through the channels. And this is true. I decided for whatever reason that I was going to watch uh, air crash investigations. And it was on the TV and I was bored. And I didn't really think about the fact that the next day I was going to catch an aeroplane. So I'm watching air crash investigations and learning how easy it is for things to go wrong. No one seems to know what to do or how to fix it. This is a true story. So I've caught a plane many times. And this particular time was the very first time I considered the fact that we could die. And so I was sitting on, in, my, in my seat on the tarmac, and the person comes out and they start to give that explanation of what to do, and then the lights are going to be here, and then there are your exits. And then they take out this flotation device and they put it over their shoulders, and they say, in the event that we have to make a water landing, don't you know, inflate your flotation device until you're in the water. And I was listening to that, and I was thinking, this person who's giving this talk, they look so bored, and I think I know why. Because it's my understanding that there has never been a successful landing in the water in the history of ever. (laughs) I know one time that they landed on the Hudson River after just taking off, but I'm not aware of any situation where a plane has actually landed in the ocean. She's so bored because she's thinking, we're all gonna die if this happens. And I'm laughing because they're talking about flotation devices and we're just over land the whole way there. So I thought that is going to be absolutely useless. You know, should we make it to the ground again, we're definitely, we're probably going to die. And so I'm sitting there and I'm I'm contemplating, you know, all of this stuff that's going through my mind. It doesn't normally happen, but again, don't watch air crash investigations the night before you go flying. So I'm sitting there. And I'm thinking about uh, my life, and I'm thinking about what I did with my time, and I'm 34 years old, I turned 35 in a couple of months, and I'm thinking back about my life and about all the things that I've done, and I really wondered at that point, what were the things that really mattered to me? What were the things that I did that I felt made a difference? And at that point, when I started to consider what was really important to me, you wouldn't be surprised to learn that my underperforming MacBook wasn't at the top of that list. (laughs) The fact that I have to watch the Rainbow Wheel of Death for a long time before anything opens and drives me crazy was not among the things that concerned me. Among the things that didn't concern me was what everyone else was doing on Facebook. I didn't care about that. Uh, Among the things that concerned me wasn't the balance of my bank account. I didn't think about that. No, in fact, when I thought about my life and if the 34 years that I spent on earth made any amount of difference at all, I started to think about people. 
I started to think about the people that are in my life. I thought primarily of my kids, and I wondered, because my oldest is seven, and I started to think about the time that I've spent investing into my family, and is this enough for me to have made the difference necessary in my kids' life to give them the best start imaginable to a life where I wouldn't be in the picture. I thought about that. I thought about the things that was, you know, really important to me and, and, and you know, if there, was a, if there was a plan for my life and I believed that there is, did I follow it? Did I follow it closely? Did I follow it at a distance? Not as to get too close. And so I want to share this message with you today because I was reading the Bible and this scripture came to my mind. I want to talk about seven words that changed the Apostle Paul's life. And so I want to read this scripture to you and it comes out of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. It says, For though I am free from all, I made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for today. And we believe that this afternoon in this place, you're going to speak to us. And God, I pray that right now our hearts would be open and that, Lord, as we're hearing the preaching of the word and as we're worshiping, I pray that you really do speak to each one of us. And I pray that, God, whether we were just invited today and we just came with some friends and we found ourselves here by accident, I pray that what you have to say today would leave us changed and transformed. And not the kind of thing that happens just, you know, that picks us up maybe for the night, but the thing that kind of sticks in our hearts and lasts. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach a message to you this afternoon, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. If I was going to divide Christianity into two areas, and you could probably divide Christianity a lot of ways, but if I was going to divide it into two areas, I would divide it into what Jesus has done and what we're supposed to do what Jesus has done and what we're supposed to do. And if you are new and you don't know much about what Jesus has done, we just call that the gospel message. And it's the most positive and encouraging and uplifting message you could ever hear with your, in your whole life. And I think if you're, again, if you're new to church and you don't know what this is, if you and I were to sit down today and we were to have an honest conversation about your life, you would probably have to admit to me that there have been times when you've made mistakes. There are times when you've done things that you wish that you didn't. If anybody's sitting in this room and you've got a regret with how 
you spent some time or a regret with something that you did with your life, then I'm talking to you today. It's things that you wish that you did, you never did, but you did do. And it's just sort of a mistake. So if you made a mistake, the Bible calls that sin. Sin actually means that you missed the mark in terms of design and intention. It means to say that God had a plan for your life, but you didn't follow it. And as a result of not following it, you're actually in error, that you didn't do everything perfectly. And the problem with sin is that there's a penalty attached to it. And I know we don't often talk about this in church, but it's so important that we do. The penalty of sin is death. And quite simply, to put it as plainly and obvious as I can, if you don't resolve the issue of sin in your life, at the end of your life, after you die, you will go to hell. And that's a word that we don't hear very often in church, but that is the essence of the gospel. Because if we don't talk about that, it kind of doesn't make an impact when you talk about the fact that all Jesus wanted to do is to save people from that. If you're wondering how, uh, uh, you, you know, what is the heart of God and what God is about, He loved people so much and wanted to resolve the issue of sin so that no one would ever have to go to that place, so much so that He sent His Son Jesus to die upon a cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could have eternal life with Him. That we'd be totally forgiven of our sins. That's everything that Jesus has done. And I think it's amazing. I think it's positive. I think it's encouraging. I think it's uplifting. But that's just part of the story, isn't it? That's just one area. And you could actually develop such a great ministry if all you ever did was just tell people about what Jesus has done. But in fact, when you look at the Bible, the Bible spends a lot of time, particularly in the New Testament, a lot of time talking about what we should do as a result of what Jesus has done, about how we should change our lives and what we should do with the knowledge and knowing that Jesus had died on the cross for our sins. There's a prayer in the Bible. It's called the Lord's Prayer. A lot of people know it. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come and your will be done. You know, oftentimes we talk about God's will being done in our lives, but here's what I've discovered is that oftentimes His will contradicts my will. So when I read the Lord's Prayer, I'm like, really? Do you just sort of say those words? Do they have the meaning that they're supposed to? Does it have the impact it's supposed to on your life? Your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, your will over my will. What you want more than what I want. That's what we pray when we say those words. I, I, I think about that and I think, really God, your, your will over mine, when your will begins to contradict mine and you start asking me to do stuff that I don't really wanna do, you know, sometimes there's a wrestle there. I mean, if you've been a Christian for five minutes, you probably learn that sometimes Jesus asks you to do things you just don't want to do. But we say, no, 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 your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm a Christian. I'm a Jesus follower. I know that at the end of my life, I'm going to spend eternity in the presence of, of God. And, and I, I don't want to be there now, but I look forward to that time when it comes, you know? And I think about, you know, the fact that I, I, I'm going to, uh, you know, walk in and have that uh, encounter with Jesus. But on my way in, he's going to ask me a question. He's going to ask me to give an account for my life. He's going to ask me about what I did with the time that was given to me. And did I really give it my best? And did I follow the plan? 
And did I do what God, what you asked me to do? And if you're sitting here to this afternoon and you're thinking to yourself, well, actually, if I was to reflect on my life, I can safely say that I have you know, walked away from that so many times and I haven't followed the plan perfectly. If that's you today, don't worry. You're in good company. Just look to your left and look to your right. Because the truth is, every single one of us at some time has walked away from the plan that God has for our life. That's why we call that sin. And it's a problem that affects everyone. But the reason that I was thinking about it is because I realized that you get one life. One shot. One opportunity. You don't get a do-over. I had to go there. We need someone up here on now. I feel like we need some background music. Some of you are looking at me and say, I have no idea what you're talking about. And it's a good thing. You're probably saved. And you're probably, probably, anyway. You get one shot. You get one shot at life. You don't get a do-over. I started to think about the things that were really important. I started to think about the things that should really matter in the light of eternity. And you know, amazingly, a lot of stuff just begins to sort of fade away. And the Apostle Paul, he figured out he figured out what the most important thing was for him to do with his life. And when we read the story about Paul, when we read about his life, we see how it impacted him. His life is a reflection of finding the most important thing that he should do with his life. And this from a man who underwent dramatic transformation, who began by murdering Christians and ended up becoming one ended up following Jesus, an incredible transformation. And the thing is, no one made Paul do anything. In fact, when you read the scripture that we read today, he says, I'm free. I'm free to do anything I want. I'm free to make any decision I want. And as you're here today, you're free to make any decision you want. You can do anything you want with your time. You're free to make that decision. You can spend it however you want. If you want to spend an hour on Facebook and just watching what other people are doing, you're free to do that. There's no crime. It's fine. You're free to spend your talents however you want. Sometimes God places the most amazing gifts in people. And some people are going to use it for business. And some people are going to use it for ministry. And neither one of those is wrong. You can spend your talent however you want. You can spend your treasure however you want. God's going to resource you and put stuff in your hands. He's going to give you opportunities and money and wealth and resources. And you're welcome to do whatever you want with any of those things that He gives to you. But the question that I asked as I sat there on the plane is, what if I used my freedom for choice with the wrong focus? What if I used the freedom, because I'm free, to make any decision I want? What if I used my freedom for choice and I just began to spend it in the wrong area? And I started to look at the life of Paul and think about him and think about what he spent his time, his talent, his treasure on. What was Paul's focus? And he says it so well, so many times he says, I'm a servant. He spent his life being a servant. Of who? Of everyone. I thought, are you serious? You're free to do whatever you want. And you choose to be a servant. I mean, I know that some people, 
have that placed upon them. They don't get an option. They don't get a choice. They have to be a servant. But he's got a choice and he says, I want to be a servant of everyone. And there are seven words because I asked myself the question, why would anyone do that? And there are seven words in the text that we just read that answer that question, why would anyone ever be a servant? And he says it this way, in order that I might win some. In order that I might win some. And those seven words, they changed Paul's life. They made decisions for him. They became words that still steered his life and what he would say yes to and what he said no to came down to how he could begin to outwork those words, those seven words. And the culture that Paul was entrenched in and writing to, there was all kinds of different people. There were people that were under the law and there were people that were not under the law and completely free of the law. And he's trying to reach everybody. And so Paul, he goes undercover, undercover to begin to form relationships and build relationships with people. And he says this in verse 19, he says, to the Jews, I was as a Jew. In other words, let me say that another way. He said, I'm just going to fit in. I'm not going to be weird. I'm not going to try to stand out. I'm not going to try to take what I believe and put it in everyone's faces, nothing like that. To the Jews, I was as a Jew. I'm going to start to build a relationship with these people because it's the best way I'm going to be able to reach people. When I was working in recruitment, I remember for the first six months of that job, I never mentioned that I was a Christian. I just was one. Imagine that. I didn't tell everyone about it. About six months into being there, my boss, she was having trouble having children. And she said to me that she was having trouble having children. And I, she said, oh, Ben, I've, I've prayed to God about this. And this was my doorway of opportunity after six months. And I turned and I said, and what did he say? And she looked at me like I had two heads. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, well, you said that you asked God why you can't have children. I just want to know what he said to you. She said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? What would God say to me? I said, yeah. And she says, well, how does God speak to you? I said, oh, there's many ways that God can speak to you. He can speak to you through the Bible, through his word. Sometimes he might just speak directly to you. And she said, well, I have a Bible, but I've, to be honest, I've never really understood that thing. I said, sure, I can understand that. Which version are you reading? She said, version? I said, oh, yeah, there's different types of Bibles. Which one are you reading? She says, I have no idea. I said, well, you know what? If I was to get you a version in contemporary English that was really easy to understand, I mean, would you read it? She said, if you bought me a Bible that I could understand, I would definitely read it. I said, all right, well, that's what I'm going to do. At this point, I mean, we're talking loud enough for the whole office to hear. At this point, the other five people that are sitting in the same little pod as me, all spun around on their chairs, the stroking of keyboards and everything, all of that had stopped. It was silent. And they all spun around on their chairs and they said, 
Can you get us one? I said, yeah. I said, who wants Bibles today? <laughs> About five hands go up. I said, all right, so I'm going to go, and if I get five Bibles, you guys are going to read them. They said, yeah, we'll read them. I said, okay. I went out at lunchtime, and I bought five Bibles, and I came back, and I handed them out, and they said, where do we start? I said, well, look, why don't you start in the book of John and uh, start to read it and come back to me when you have questions? And they said, this is awesome. I'm like, you have no idea. Six months, though, I just fit in to the recruiters. I was a recruiter, but on the inside, I was a Christian posing as a recruiter. Six months later, I decide to talk to them about Jesus and begin to share my faith. Oh, man, you have no idea. This thing got so awesome. I'll tell you the truth. I became the leading authority on all things spiritual. In that office, we had, I'm going off track now, but that's cool. In that office, we had people that came through that were Satanists. We had people that were uh, Muslim. And every time someone with a different belief system came through, the office would swing around on their chairs and they'd say, is that true? I'm like, that ain't true. And they're like, we're with him. The Satanist who was actually, who was there, who was a follower of the, Satan, you know, she walked through and she said, uh, uh, she, as she walked through the office, she said, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, obviously people have been talking about it. And, and I, I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. She goes, well, I'm a Satanist. And I said, well, congratulations. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know what you're looking for from me, but I spent six months just connecting with people, opening a door for relationships so I could begin to share a life-changing message with them. This is what the Apostle Paul did because he had a goal. His goal was he would become whatever he needed to become in order to reach people with that same life-changing message. But one of the things that I really want you to notice today is that he didn't say that he became Jewish to reach the Jews. No, he said, to the Jews, I was as a Jew. In other words, what Paul didn't do was shift what he believed in order to form a relationship and a connection with these people that he was trying to reach. In other words, he wasn't going to sell out on what he believed. He wasn't going to compromise his values. He didn't say that he became Jewish. He said to the Jews, I was as a Jew. Like no one really knew that I was a Christian. I looked like everyone else and I fit in because I was just building that relationship. You know, I knew a guy, a missional guy with a great heart and his, uh, uh, his goal in life was to reach a certain type of people group. And he said that what the people that he wanted to reach was uh, prostitutes and strippers and uh, like the underworld, like, you know, crime and so forth. And so he positioned himself to do that job effectively by putting himself in bars and nightclubs and strip joints. And against the advice of other people, this was a decision that he said the Lord had led him to make. Boy, you can really use that line however you want. By the way, when you use that line, it's like no one can help you. If you're so convinced of it, you say, the Lord told me, we say, well, all right, if that's what the Lord told you, it doesn't sound like anything that I've ever read, but all right, if the Lord told you. So he began to live this missional life, but you know what ended up happening? He made some huge mistakes, some of the biggest mistakes that you could. 
And as a direct result, what he ended up doing was compromising his values in order to reach the people that he was trying to reach. And I cannot tell you how much of a big mistake that is. If you have to lose your moral compass and take on other people's belief systems and alternative lifestyles in order to reach them, listen, you're not reaching anyone. Now you're just lost. And I know it might sound crazy to you, but can I tell you that, by the way, you don't have to agree with someone's lifestyle in order to reach them. You just got to learn to love people better. And if you learn to love people really well, you gain a, gate, a, a, a doorway, a gateway into their lives. Paul said, man, I'm not changing my values. I'm just going to fit in so that I can chat with people. I thought this is a brilliant strategy. And he did it every time he went undercover. He says he went undercover to, the, to those that were outside the law. He became as someone that was outside the law. You'll notice that what Paul did is he always went to people. He always went to them. He didn't say, they'll probably come to me when they change their life and take on my values. Can I tell you right now? If people don't believe what you believe, they're never going to live how you live. And if you begin in a place where you expect people to change, when they don't believe what you believe, you're going to set yourself up for a world of hurt. No one will change their life until they come around to what you believe. But in order to get there, you've got to start to build a relationship in some way. Paul didn't say, I'm going to expect you to become more like me. I feel like for some of us, the line that we could use was, to the Christians, I was as a Christian. Because it's real easy to have Christian conversations with Christians. And if you look over your life and you start to think about all the Christian conversations you're having, if they're always with Christians, I feel like you're missing an opportunity. I feel like there's something else that we're supposed to do. Maybe take that life-giving message and bring it to someone that in fact is not a Christian, who in fact does not believe what we believe. And if you spend long enough in that bubble. It begins to change you and you become less relatable. You start to use words, just like Christian words that no one ever says outside of church. You start to use this language and people say, where do you get this stuff from? Because you're in the bubble and you've got to break out of the bubble. And I, I thought rather than trying to explain this to you, it would just be easier if we watched a short clip that explained this so much better. Bless his heart. I think he's backsliding. I think I saw him drink. Yeah, but in moderation. I just wasn't seeing much fruit. He's going down a slippery slope. How's your heart, man? How's your heart? I'm just such a words guy. It was a total God thing. I'm blessed. I've been working on my testimony. Is that secular music? We're opening with a secular song tonight. Wait, is this a secular song? Isn't she secular? Which station's The Fish? 104.3 The Fish. Safe for the whole family. You know he's a believer. I think he's saved. I just pray you'd give him traveling mercies. Mm. Pray for all Tyler's unspokens. Mm. Echo that. Just really like to echo. Tyler's prayer, Father. I just, I echo that echo of my echo of his echo. I really feel like I'm being released from this, you know? I'm trying to be relevant. I'm just trying to be in the world, not of it. Hey, do you want to join our small group? You want to join my D group? You want to join my cell group, community group, access group, accountability group, Acts 27 group? Dude, 
He brought it. He brought the word. That service last night rocked me. They're pretty purpose-driven. Yeah, it's Seeker. Don't they do Seeker service there? I feel like he's gotten really watered down. I don't feel like he really teaches the word. There's not enough meat, you know? Are they non-to-non? We have a great Wednesday night supper. Let's invite some dudes over and fellowship tonight. We're gonna have a sweet <laughs> time of fellowshipping tonight. Dude, we had the sickest fellowship last night. We're going to extreme. Velocity. Ignite. Yeah, I'm going to ignite. The edge. The dive. The bridge. The ramp. Fire. Courageous. Passion. Echo. Reverb. Noise. Velocity. Drive. Elevate. Radiate. 722. 635. 419. Orange. Blue. Yellow. Green. Clear. Neon. Catalyst conference this year. I don't do that because I feel like it ruins my witness. Been struggling with that. I'm really wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with a doubt. Need someone to hold me accountable. I'm really trying to be intentional with her. I'm pursuing her for sure. I'm trying to guard her heart. Guard her heart though, bro. Will you hold me accountable to that? Yeah, well, bounce your ass. Bounce your ass. Dang it. Crap. Shoot. Sheesh. Frip. Darn it. What the H? Holy crap. Son of a beasting. Dude, he's really teeing me off. I'm gonna kick his A. Are you asking me right now? Not cool. I find that offensive. Oh man, I, I know some of you are probably offended right now, but they said it so much better than I could have ever done. And you know, the thing is, is that when you live in the bubble, you just start to speak differently. And when you begin to try to reach people, it's so obvious that you're so different. I, you know, uh, it was probably about maybe... Uh, I don't know, a month ago or something, uh, my son Isaac, he had to go to a, to a sleep school. And because uh, he wakes up a lot at night and uh, we wanted to just make sure he was getting some good sleep. So you go to this place and they, they hook them all up and uh, then they make sure that they can sleep. They've got cameras on them and you have to stay overnight there with them. So uh, there was, there's about three or four rooms and three or four parents. And so I'm there with uh, Isaac and he's in bed and I go out to the little kitchenette that they have and it's late and I'm just working and you have to wait till they fall asleep before you, you know, you can go into the room. So I'm just working on my laptop and while I'm working, this other lady comes out and she was very nice and she was very, very chatty uh, person. And uh, as we're speaking, uh, and she's asking me a lot of questions and I'm, I'm sort of working, but I made this deal with God, I said, if you ever open a door, I'm going to walk through it. So I said, right, here's a doorway of opportunity. So I'm going to speak to this person. And so I just stopped what I'm doing. And we begin to have this conversation. And I said to her, oh, you know, it kind of sucks that we have to be uh, out so late tonight. And she says, oh, that doesn't really bother me because I actually work at night. I said, oh, do you? She said, yeah. We kept talking for a little bit. And after a while, I said, so tell me, like, what do you do for work? Where do you work? And she told me the name of the place where she works, and it was a name that I didn't recognize. And I said to her, all right, so I don't know what that is. Could you just explain that to me? And she said, yeah, it's, it's, it's a brothel. I said, oh, okay. I said, so that, uh, you know, that must be really interesting work. Um, I said, uh, is it hard for people to work in? I mean, I'm trying to come up with conversations that are G-rated here. And, and I said, that must be really uh, uh, challenging work. I, you know, do, do people stay in the industry for long? And she said, no, look, a lot of girls, they can't handle it and they have to move out from, uh, they can only work in that environment for uh, such a long time. And so we kept talking for a little while. About 10 minutes later, that conversation sort of finishes and I go back to doing my work. And she says, so what do you do? 
I said, oh, I'm a pastor of a church. And like, you had to pick her jaw up off the floor and she was just could not believe what I had just said. And this woman could talk underwater with marbles in her mouth and she was silent for the first time in a long time. And she didn't say anything and she finally came out with this. I did not see that coming. <laughs> I said, yeah, I get that a lot. She said, do you know that you're young? I said, yes, I'm aware of that. I said, I, I'm, I'm aware of these things. But you know, the thing is, after that, we had the most amazing talk about Jesus. Because the first thing that I did is I just listened to her story. I just wanted to hear about her story. I know the thing that I think about this, about being a Christian, is I really don't have the right to judge anyone else's story. And every single person in this room, you have your own story. I'm just interested in doing one thing. I'm interested in getting that life-giving message to a person that needs it. And when you listen to people, you begin to open up doors of opportunity to speak into their life. You know, Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. But for people that don't recognize Jesus, they don't know who's knocking. Has anybody ever knocked on your door and you look and you're like, I don't know you. And you wanna make sure you can trust them before you're willing to open the door to them. How, how do you think people feel? They wanna make sure that before they open the door to their heart, that you're the kind of person that they can trust. And you do that by building relationship. You do that just by speaking to them and, and, and fitting in. And they're checking to see if it's safe. Paul went undercover, he said, I became as someone who was weak, as someone who was weak. And just so you know what he was talking about, when Paul refers to people being weak, he often talked about their conscience. He talked about uh, uh, people whose conscience, they didn't have the conscience to be able to eat food that was offered to idols. So let me explain that to you for just a minute. In this in, in Corinth, if they were going to have a big festival to worship a false god, it would be fully catered for. And poor Christians would have an attack of conscience. They'd be hungry and starving, but they're saying, can I eat this food if it's being offered to an idol? I don't want to do the wrong thing by God. And Paul says, man, I don't have any issue eating this food. He had no problem. He said, look, it's all from God. So I have no problem eating it. But, but if it's going to offend you for me to eat it, he said, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to touch it. Because when you choose to not offend people, you get a seat at their table. When you choose to not have offenses all the time and not be upset with people that have alternative lifestyles or different values or whatever it is, when you live your life that way, you get a seat at the table of relationship with their life. And you know what's really crazy about this story and about Paul? Paul's whole life goal was tied to his relational ability and this from a guy who needed a personality lobotomy because he was so harsh and so strong and so rigid. And yet this guy who was so strong and harsh and rigid is the same guy who's done everything that he can to begin to fit in. But do you know that before he fit in, 
After he became a Christian, he went away for 17 years, learning and relearning what he previously held to be true and sort of smoothening off all the rough edges. And you have to think for a guy that was moving through the uh, Judaism as quickly as he was, why would he choose to go back to the beginning? Why would he go all the way back to be a beginner to learn all over again? Who would take their personality and their character and not just say, well, this is who I am, so you're going to have to get used to me, but actually said, no, 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 it's not worth it to live or think that way. I'm going to go back. I'm going to do some work internally. And then 17 years later, he comes back, and now he's saying he fits in with people because I think for Paul, the alternative to turn around and to say, well, this is just who I am, it was not good enough because he knew what hung in the balance. And he said, I will work on whatever I need to work on to be whatever I need to be so that I can reach people people that need to hear this life-giving message. And whether you're a Christian or not, you would have to ask the question, why would Paul go through all of this and change his life and live as a slave or live as a servant and do all of this? And it's because he found something that billions of people have found since this time. And here it is, that God is real. His name is Jesus. And he loves people enough to actually die for them. And those things that he found were enough enough to completely and dramatically alter him and change his life. So let me again rephrase what he said when he said, I became all things because I think this is what he really meant. He said, I'm just going to do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes to reach people that need to be reached. And I thought about this and I thought the same thing that changed Paul is meant to be the same thing that changes me. Paul realized he was called to do something significant with his life. Paul realized that he was called to something the Bible refers to as the great commission, not the great omission, the great commission. We could be in love with all the things that Jesus has done for us. But eventually there comes a time when we have to realize that we are commissioned. That there's not, we don't want to just be in love with what Jesus has done. We need to start to love what Jesus has actually asked us to do. And Paul said that everything that he did, and if you look through his letters and you look through his life, he says everything that he did, he did it all so that he might save all. No, he didn't actually say that. He said, I did it, so why might save some? How many? I don't know. Maybe just one. But the reason he did it, he spent his whole life doing all of this because he thought that some, just some, were worth it. It's the only stuff that matters, guys. It's the stuff that you can take into eternity. What could be better to take into eternity than the life of someone that you care about? I was shopping with my kids yesterday. Some of you who are parents just said, you're crazy. I know, I like to live on the edge. <laughs> and so I'm carrying shopping bags. And as I'm carrying them, I see my daughter, Eliana, and she begins to run towards the car park and there's cars going everywhere. And so without thinking, I just begin to shout. 
Now, I don't really like shouting. I, I, sometimes I feel like when we go out as a family, we are the crazy loud people. And this is what I feel like I need to say to my kids when we leave the house. I said, right, now everyone just act normal, okay? Just, just act normal. As far as anybody knows, we're just a normal family going out, right? I don't like to yell and make a big scene, but you know, my daughter, she's running for the road. So what do I say? I say, Aliana. And I begin to shout, but she's a kid, so you have to say it 50 times. So I start yelling, Aliana, come back, come back, come back, come back. And she eventually hears me and she stops and she turns around and she comes back and she looked at me, but there was also about 25 other people that were looking at me. That's right, the crazy dad that's making a scene who's yelling out, come back, come back, come back. But I tell you something right now, not for one second did I even consider or think about how crazy I might look by yelling out, come back, come back, come back. I didn't care about that because in the balance was the life of my little daughter whom I love so much. And I said, I don't care how crazy crazy I look, I'm going to yell, come back, come back, come back, because I want to see you live. And I feel like sometimes as Christians, when we see things the way that they really are, we'd be the people yelling, come back, come back, come back. And we're not going to be so worried about all the stuff that is probably just distractions, the stuff that doesn't matter so much. But we would be consumed with one thing, that does matter and we would face the looks and the stares and all that comes with that. You would do whatever it takes to make sure that someone that was headed for a bad end would come back. And so I sat there on the tarmac, all this in a couple of minutes. And I sat there and I asked myself the question, am I doing whatever it takes? Am I? Because just because I'm a pastor, and I work at a church doesn't mean that I'm doing whatever it takes. I don't get to rest on my title. Jesus doesn't say to me, oh, Senior Pastor, I'm so sorry. I didn't see your name badge straight through. He says, hey, what'd you do with your time? And what did you do with your talent? And what did you do with your treasure? And did you spend your freedom of choice pursuing the right things in life? Or did you spend your life distracted, worried about the looks from other people, worried about the wrong things? And I realized in the light of eternity that asking ourselves the question, am I doing whatever it takes? It's one of the most important questions I can ever ask and that you can ever ask. And the answer that, to that question, if the question works correctly, it should steer and guide your life. It should begin to do things in you that control what you say yes to and what you say no to. Because like Paul, you say, I'm gonna do whatever it takes. I would become all things to all people in order that I might save even one because just one, just one, just one is worth it. The life of one person, if I spend my life pursuing this and one person gets to learn it, I would walk away saying that was worth it. That was worth every minute and every hour and every year to see one person come to understand that. We stand together. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.